you know, how do we gather ideas? How do we attend to ideas? What is the quality of attention? What space do we give to these inquiries? Unless we start prioritizing, nurturing and engendering these skills in young people who go through uh, their educational careers, then the, the, the planet will continue to reap the consequences of prioritizing things that are becoming less and less important. I would kind of want to flip it over completely where, you know, the curriculum might be, well, what are you interested in? What would you like to learn about? Who do you want to work with? What do you need? How will you share your ideas? It's going to go off in directions that maybe you as an educator are going to have to turn around and say, I don't know what the answer is. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we are in collaboration with Intrepid N News. Today we have two guests on the show, Dr. Penny Hay and Alex Soulsby. Penny Hay is an artist, researcher, and educator. She is a reader at Bath Spa University in creative teaching and learning, and also a senior lecturer in arts education at Bath Spa University School of Education. She's a research fellow at the Center for Culture and Creative Industries, and she's worked extensively in arts education across the UK and coordinated the professional development program for the National Society for Education in Art and Design. Alex is the founding director of Artist Residency Thailand. He's an international arts and creative education manager and consultant with over 20 years experience in education, creative projects management, and artist mentoring. And during his time in the UK, he was the creative projects and education manager and sat on numerous boards, trusts, and steering groups that focused on arts and education engagement for young people. Today's conversation will be about creativity, not only in the arts, although the arts will be a central theme, but really in the way that we rethink, redesign, and reimagine the education structures that we have today, allowing young people to sit with questions, to pursue inquiry, and perhaps take action or respond to the environment through creative means, giving them the means and channels to express themselves and engage in their environment. This requires a reimagining of the education system. This requires a rethinking of the way that pedagogy is practiced and what matters to us today. Perhaps going beyond the standards that we have, perhaps going beyond the curriculum that we have, perhaps going beyond some of the power relations that exist within schools, in the classroom, and in the greater system. But perhaps not. Perhaps finding the gaps within the existing structures in order to allow creativity to flourish. I'll leave space for my conversation with Penny and Alex. As always, you can find our articles on www.coconut-thinking.design, our articles on Intrepid Ed. And in the meantime, I'll leave space for my conversation with Dr. Penny Hay and Alex Olsby. Well, we're very lucky here at the Coconut Thinking Podcast because we have two people on the episode. We have uh, Dr. Penny Hay and Alex Solsby. I'm going to open it up with a question that we ask all our guests. Maybe I'll start with uh, you, Penny. Who are you and what story do you want to tell? Oh, hi. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for inviting me. And delighted to be alongside Alex in this conversation too. Yes, so I'm Penny, Penny Hay. I'm an artist, a researcher, educator. Um, I'm a reader in creative teaching and learning and a research fellow at Bar University and director of research for a charity that is now called um, House of Imagination. We were called Five by Five, but we renamed ourselves in memory of the wonderful Sir Ken Robinson, who was our patron for 
20 years or more. Um, sadly, he died a couple of years ago, but everything we do is in his legacy. And we're very lucky to work with his daughter, Kate, who's now our patron too. So I suppose the story I want to tell is about reimagining education and uh, reimagining learning so that we can open up these spaces of possibility for all children and young people, no matter what their background and circumstance, to be engaged in not only a creative education in the arts, but a creative education in everything. And I think that's where, you know, I stand with creativity is a way of being in the world, but the arts manifest that on a daily basis. Um, well, first of all, I want to just echo um, Penny's sentiment. It's fantastic to have the opportunity uh, to speak with uh, you, Benjamin, but also uh, to have Penny here, who, as the uh, months and years go by, is um, becoming a, a trusted colleague. Um, so my name is um, Alex Salisbury. I am a creative education uh, specialist. I'm a creative director at an international school uh, in Thailand. I'm also the creative director of uh, the Artist Residency Thailand program, which is a developmental residency that aims to cultivate skills in creative practitioners, artists and creative thinkers, so that they can become more able to bring their passion and their knowledge into formal uh, education environments. Um, my background prior to that was working across uh, the UK, predominantly for uh, Royal and Durngate Theatres and Art Centres as their creative projects and education manager. And I, ooh, in terms of a story, I guess the story I want to tell is that of how, uh, personally, as a, as a young person, I only really came alive in, in, in any meaningful way uh, at school in my music, my theatre, and my art classes um, and how that kind of formative experience has really informed what I've done uh, with my career um, in being that I'm really committed to this idea that the arts, that creativity um, should, alongside academia, be central uh, to our education systems and that young people um, should have the opportunity um, to explore and discover their own sense of who they are predominantly uh, through creativity and, and the arts. So I want to ask the question of how you define learning, but connected to that, I'd also like us to get involved in this idea of what is creativity, a word that's thrown around like many words, and let's try to have a shared understanding. But I'll start with Penny, how do you define learning? Well, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm a big fan of fluid definitions and definitions that change and morph according to context. But I think you know, we could go back to different theories of learning, but I think in the present time, it's very much learning is an active process. You know, it, learning to learn is um, an invitation for inquiry and it's about change and development and then understanding. So I think it's an ongoing iterative process that is about cognitive and effective development and essentially about metacognition that, you know, we, we are developing together with children and young people, with ourselves as learners, new insights, new patterns and new habits of mind. And Alex, I'll ask you, in terms of your definition of creativity, let's, let's, let's try to get this shared understanding as we talk about, you mentioned centralizing the arts, we talked about reimagining education and learning. And, and having creativity be one of the building blocks, or maybe that's the wrong um, metaphor, but but certainly one of the, the ways to, to reimagine learning. How, how would you 
really frame creativity or, or how is that something that, that you yourself envision? I, I really feel as though in terms of a definition of creativity, it sits for me in a very personal way. I, I, don't, I don't buy into the idea that, that creativity is somehow just something that sits within the realm of the arts. It's obviously far, far, far wider than that. But I do believe uh, much the same as, um, as Penny uh, that that the arts are are really the most powerful vehicle for delivering uh, creative experiences and opportunity for cultivating creative thinking uh, in schools and formal education um, settings. And, and and I think I think um, I think actually uh, to, to to digress, Sir Ken Robinson talked a lot about how education is really built on, on, on three foundative pillars, if you like. Uh, the first being personal, the second being social, and the final one being cultural. So if you, if you look at um, experience within the education system needing in its essence to be personal, social, and cultural, I can't think of a better glue to bind those three components together than the arts because they encompass all of those uh, three elements. We're starting to talk about learning as an active process. You mentioned it was an invitation for inquiry and ongoing process in itself, how creativity might be the glue. I want to start thinking about creativity and how it relates to, say, the 21st century skills, four C's, or whatever trite label we want to we want to apply to these things. I, I have a lot of problems with this idea of 21st century competencies because creativity is something that has should never have been appropriated by the 21st century. But in your sense, this is something I feel that is different from another C on another list. How do you distinguish the creativity in terms of the role that it would play, the central role that it would play in learning and in education with some of the, uh, some of the lists that might have been put together in addition to some of the other competencies? How, how does it stand apart? When you're engaging young people properly with creativity, you're, you're really connecting to a large degree with their their inner worlds, uh, potentially more so than, than their outer worlds. I think creative thinking um, gives young people a much better sense or at least opportunity to have a greater sense of their own possibility. I think when educators engage young people on their terms uh, rather than, than our terms, if you like, um, that the, the output from a young person's thinking inherently um, creates greater agency in the wider process. Um, and by the wider process, I mean all of the other components that are expected through a formal curriculum, uh, through um, much of the expectations are, that are put in place through standardization um, and the sort of traditional industrial revolution um, expectations of the current uh, model of education that we find um, in most places in the world. Um, so, so for, for me, I think that engaging young people through, again, I come back to this notion of the arts and creativity being inter, interlinked, but certainly when you allow room for creativity in a curriculum, in the engagement of young people within a school, I think that you are more empowered as an educator to get a greater sense of who those young people are and therefore are better informed to uh, structure um, your time with those young people in a more meaningful way. 
Yeah, I totally agree with Alex. I mean, I think it is, it comes back to that sense of um, development as a human being, that sense of agency um, with young people having a voice, well, not just young people, everybody having a voice and and learning to learn. And I think those habits of mind, like you, Benjamin, I don't like the, the kind of... Um, just describing them as 21st century skills because they're life-wide, lifelong skills, as Anna Craft would have said if she was still alive. She talked about possibility thinking. And in our work with Basketball University, but also House of Imagination, um, we talk about habits of mind, dispositions of being creative, but also the, the C's, extending the C's to, you know, not just creativity, critical thinking, but also compassion, collaboration, communication, courage, uh, climate, why not? You know, I think it's absolutely important, especially now in the face of the war and the pandemic and the ecological emergency, that we do do things differently. And this is why I wanted the story to be unfolding around how then together do we reimagine education? And I think the dispositions of um, being creative as a way of being in the world helps us all, not just children and people, to pay attention to those processes. So, you know, how do we gather ideas? How do we attend to ideas? What is the quality of attention? What space do we give to these inquiries? The strapline of our charity is the freedom to follow your fascinations. So inviting those spaces of possibility that really prioritise creative and reflective learning. And as Alex says, not just in the arts, but in everything. But I think the arts do shine a light on the importance of those dispositions. So thinking about, you know, the idea of how we're using all of our senses, how we're thinking about um, the connections that we're seeing and noticing um, how we're synthesizing ideas. I wouldn't necessarily just pay attention to content and knowledge. It's about a developing space of inquiry that is to do with authentic and meaningful learning um, underpinned by a clear set of values. So I think that's where understanding becomes meaningful to the individual. But in a space of co-construction, we can then prioritize, for instance, our collective imagination where we can think about um, emerging futures together. So when you suggest reimagining education, it takes us farther than that into reimagining entire mindsets because you're talking about collective imaginations. You're talking about it coming from the inside, imagining possibilities, what can happen, what can emerge, which is completely antithetical to a system that tries to measure quantitatively some of these efforts that comes from an external source. Moreover, this idea of collectivity is different from this the sense of individuality, individualism that we have. When you when you when you suggest reimagining education, what are some of how far do we want to go? What is it going to to look like? Potential is is it reimagining, rebuilding, reconstructing? What could this look like given this this complete shift? Well, I'll start and hand over to Alex because I think we're both fans of page 73 in the UNESCO reimagining uh, all our futures together and I think for me that report that was produced um, 18 months ago, ago something like that um, I think it's about 
building imagination and and possibility thinking through arts education but actually a lot of the lessons are transferable to a whole reimagining the education system and as Alex said Sir Ken Robertson talked about more of an ecological framing of education that you know we are all part of the system we are the system if you want to change it we are in it we can do it and I think the grassroots revolution the creative revolution that he talks about or has talked about and Kate then finished his manifesto imagine if creating a future for us all I think you know there's a great resonance with the UNESCO report and I suppose that's where you know making creativity visible in learning so that it's not a slippery concept and and I don't mean testing it I don't mean um, putting it in boxes so that it becomes another um, deficit model of education where you're filling children up with attributes and competences but it's actually inviting that sense of um, exploring the world together in an inventive and um, ingenious way and that's what the arts do really beautifully you know it's about nuance it's about ingenuity it's about compassion and kindness but it's also about understanding ourselves in the world about being human and how we then manifest that creativity daily yeah absolutely and i think to to reflect on one of the the areas that benjamin was touching on earlier this is the five c's but those three c's of, of kind of covid conflict climate change um, I really do feel as though during the pandemic, collectively across the world, schools really needed to pause and think about what, what was important. And we, and we did that really to a large degree without question. We were reactionary in a very positive way to the situation um, that was uh, presented to us. And I think that, um, that without creativity, you, you, you don't have imagination. Um, the, the two things are interlinked in, 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 in a really symbiotic way. And I think that it's, it's through creativity and, and our capacity for imagination as humans um, that, that we innovate. And I think one of the most beautiful things that I've seen happen in an education system took place at a terrible time during COVID where we watched um, educators across the planet change their approach, they had to sort of really re-examine their pedagogy, they had to sort of think about how they were connecting and communicating with the young people um, who were um, under their uh, under their care. Um, and the single greatest issue that I think that, that, that we're looking at now in terms of transforming the education system is, is that as, we, as we're at the tail end of the COVID crisis, um, and we start talking about some of those changes that were being made during the pandemic, you start to see the idea of pushing those changes further in the curriculum being reacted to as though you're trying to, I think, again, Sir Ken Robertson described it as changing the periodic table. You know, the idea that you would, you, you realize something needs to happen in terms of an established system um, and you start trying to sort of push and instigate that and realize that people hold on to the traditions of that system in such a way um, that it almost becomes sacred. Um, and yes, I guess I've turned the conversation a little into sort of thinking about some of the barriers that stop us from, from, from that transformation. Um, and I hope that hasn't diluted the fact that I think that transformation is really necessary. 
We live in a system where sometimes people think, well, how can I fit in creativity to my curriculum? How can I fit it to the standard-based grading system that I have? It seems to me that that doesn't go far enough and it's still pushing against the wall because if you have to fit creativity into a standard-based system, for instance, which by definition is not creative because it makes everybody the same, that's what the word standard means, it's not going to be enough. So, so what does this or what could this possibly look like concretely? We talk about centralizing creativity, you know, bringing the arts back. What is that beyond having an extra drama class? Or what could that really look like in a transformative way? Certainly, certainly the idea of things like non-Googleable answers, um, the idea that the that the standardization and trying to create a single product in the outcome of a young person going through a system needs to be really reevaluated, if not kind of put aside altogether. Um, and I also think that the, the role of what we might not conceive as being traditional educators um, being explored, so co-collaboration between entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, artists having almost an equal role in the writing of uh, curricula within schools, um, bringing in um, the community so there's a greater sense of co-collaboration with communities. And again, many of the things that were outlined in that UNESCO All Our Futures Together report, which incidentally, the tail end of which was completed um, during, during the pandemic. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there are also some very practical and philosophical examples of excellent practice. Um, and I can point some out, you know, so we're working alongside a brilliant organisation called States of Mind, where they're really thinking about um, young people's agency and young people's ideas and young people's self-directed learning. And I think that's at the heart of our work with a charity. But at the university, I think it's important that we have redesigned our courses. So, for instance, in our postgraduate certificate for education, we have prioritised the four seats around creativity, critical thinking, complex problem solving, collaboration, but actually also care, also compassion, also climate, curiosity, courage, and so on. And I think for me, as an educator in this context, thinking about the importance of agency and relationships that school, for instance, is a system of relationships and everybody has a part to play in that. And I think in that sense, that's where the ecosystem comes in, that if we were to imagine um, the education ecosystem, that everything is connected, you wouldn't then have these silos of subject-based, knowledge-based um, areas where you know they're then tested and graded. I would kind of want to flip it over completely where you know the curriculum might be well what are you interested in what would you like to learn about who do you want to work with what do you need how will you share your ideas you know and then then the sense of um self-assessment if, if we're using the assessment word becomes really prioritized so yeah for me it's m much more about getting away from a deficit model getting away from um a model of education that is marketized to coming back to the human being and how we are in the world together. Yeah, it's really interesting you, you say that, Annie. I mean, I, I've, I've heard, I think in the last month from three uh, separate educators, all of, all of whom working in, in, in quite senior leadership roles, that the, 
the reason, I'll say the reason, or at least the greatest argument for not reforming the education system, as is in most schools, is because that's not what universities want. Universities require this very standardized, understood outcome in order for them to to um, facilitate a selection process that allows them to know which students they're going to bring in that cohort in any particular year. So I, I, do, you, do you have any thoughts about that? And also, I don't know what um, potentially at Bath Spa, uh, where you're based, are, are there mechanisms that are being put in place to address that at the point of admissions? Yes, absolutely. I mean, one, one example I can give from our university side is that, you know, we have just won, I mean, just said not interested in grades and, and uh, stars, we have just won the Goldmark um, uh, Award for social enterprise. So what we've done is we've turned the university into a social enterprise so that we are, um, our, our, our walls are more much more porous, much more open to the community in service to the community. We're co-designing. Um, a lot of our modules with, as you say, local creative and cultural industries. Our project Forest of Imagination, for instance, is in now in its 10th year, which is all about um, the importance of imagination and nature in all of our lives, but responding to the ecological emergency with imaginative solutions together. So working with our students, with our um, academic staff, our professional staff, but alongside the community, so with local schools, with local partners, um, and I can leave any kind of contact details about that, you know, as we finish as well. So tell us more about Force of Imagination. What does that look like? So Force of Imagination um, was co-founded ten years ago with Andrew Grant, who designed Gardens by the Bay in Singapore. Um, you probably know the super trees, and so. Forest was born out of a conversation about, you know, how can we engage the community in conversation about the importance of creativity, imagination and nature and our connectedness? You know, we are we are part of nature. And how can we look after this beautiful planet? And so each year we reimagine a different space, working alongside, um, as I said, with children, young people, students, local community, um, local and international artists and reimagining spaces to then shine a light on the importance of global forests, but also on our everyday creativity, how we can manifest these ideas together in different spaces. So we've taken over spaces right in the heart of the city and brought nature into the centre. Uh, we've reimagined a, um, a, a historic meadow and, and based on Darwin Sandwalk, you know, places of contemplation through um, a walk, meeting creative installations, working with uh, architecture students from the University of Bath, but also Bath University, our students across education and the arts, um, our design students. This year we co-designed a living tree with Andrew Amundsen um, and a living tree mirror maze with Alf Coles, mathematician at the University of Bristol. So that space of inquiry was an invitation for children and people, everybody to come in and think about the ecological emergency, but in a more hopeful way, with more hopeful action. Um, and again, I can share the, the recent film that we've made with a local school. So this is the part that, um, that, that I want to build on. And Alex, you mentioned this as well, is 
in, in some places, or, or at least maybe I, I'm going to exaggerate to make my point, but creativity or centralizing creativity, again, might be just adding a drama class or maybe having some kind of genius hour where kids are just left uh, more, you know, sometimes in, in more or less structured ways, sometimes, in, in, and I say that deliberately, structured creativity, um, but sometimes in, in more or less channeled ways. But here what we're talking about by bringing community and the practitioners is, is, is that collective effort towards perhaps social action, towards moving, towards changing thinking rather than the production of, I'm not going to say art for art's sake, but certainly giving it that extra third dimension. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for, for me, I think the one thing that the art education does, and I, and I mean that broadly, so whether that's theatre, um, visual arts, music, culinary arts, whatever it may be, I think those, those, those subjects are more... Um, they're, they're more inclined to engender conversation. I think, I think too often um, there is a very transmissive component to formal education in that the, the, the teacher, the educator stands with the knowledge, the students sit there and absorb the knowledge, and then they, at the end of that, they, they, they regurgitate it. But I think like in, in philosophy, much like education, without conversation, it can very quickly and easily become, become dogma. Um, and I feel that the type of work that, that, that Penny's so heavily involved in, the, the work that certainly the, um, the creative projects team, the arts team at Royal and Dungate and the UK and the, and the collaborative um, partnerships and projects that we did, were all about building, uh, building experiences and core arts-focused uh, activity that brought everyone together. And it was less about having um, a, a single artist come and uh, facilitate something or present something and more about creating um, experiences that allow people to come along and engage. And it comes back to that sense of engaging on, you know, engaging with people on their terms rather, rather, rather than our terms. So um, I do feel as though the, the idea of more involved community engagement that's happening on a regular basis, uh, the idea of arts activity that is about exploring um, ideas that are important to everyone um, and the making room for that and doing so in meaningful, powerful, regular ways in schools has unimaginable and, and, and provable uh, positive outcomes. And certainly the types of conversations that come about from those experiences are the types of conversations that we all need to be having more of. And of course, there's significant resistance from much of the outlets of media that I read about how there's learning loss. And Alex, you mentioned this is a time maybe we, when we could have changed everything from COVID, but it seems that we are snapping back to more traditional ways of thinking that there is fear that kids are coming back having lost all this time how do we resist how do we push back how do we say, tell another story how do we cope with that dominant narrative of having to overcome learning loss which tends to be more algorithmic reading skills literacy skills and so forth turning on the tv and looking at the state of the world around us that seems probably not a not a bad starting point um I mean, I, I was in a conversation a number of months ago now 
uh, with uh, the philosopher Nigel Warburton. We were talking about what one of the main one of the main things that we need to learn post pandemic. What what are the skills that schools uh, really need to uh, uh, to foster and 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 the the results of that conversation. What we pinpointed were things like um, altruism, um, being able to um, critically solve problems across cultural um, uh, boundaries, um, our uh, capacity to have empathy uh, towards one another. Um, there was a great quote I read the other day uh, in the Guardian. It said it's, it's possible to to be amazing at academia, to succeed um, at the highest level in all of your exams, go on to an incredible university, get an amazing job, maybe even in government, go on to lead a country and be leading that country, but still have no empathy, no humanity, no sense of originality and no capacity to connect with people on a meaningful level. And, and if you look around the world, with again the, those three, those four C's: climate change and conflict, and you know, post-COVID or future pandemics. Um, that, to me, seems to be the single greatest leverage. Because unless we start prioritizing nurturing and engendering these skills in young people who go through uh, their educational careers, then the, the, the planet will continue to reap the consequences of prioritizing things that are becoming less and less important and ignoring the things that are absolutely vital to us moving forward as a species on the planet. Yeah, I I, I think that the, the emphasis should be on how together we develop a creative and reflective pedagogy that then supports that kind of learning that focuses on self-directed inquiry. And in, in that sense, it is around self-actualization. So, you know, if our approaches are ethical and transparent, they're together, they're democratic, they're creative, and that everybody feels part of this community of practice, one for a better word. I have a wonderful colleague at Barstow University. I'll give him a shout out, um, Erry Mountbatten, and his PhD was all about human flourishing. And while you wouldn't necessarily use that word if you, you know, in, in conversation with parents and carers, I think it is about every child should flourish and every child to have that um, beautiful learning. That's, I often talk about beautiful learning, joyful learning, that, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if every child in the world wanted to just get up and learn and want to go to school? Schools should be places of joy and care and compassion. They shouldn't be places that we're fearful of where um, children and sometimes teachers are worried about, you know, the grades and the assessment and the um, the kind of the more um, assessment led agendas that are um, permeating our different education systems across the world. So for me, the arts manifest that multimodal way of expressing our ideas and thoughts and feelings about serious um, ideas, but it also in a play can be in a in a seriously playful way, and and that's when it comes back for me it comes back to engagement and curiosity. That if you're immersed in something and you really want to find out about something, you want to explore it, you're curious about it, and that's why intrinsic motivation is a real driver for me. That you know if you can invite children and young people to find that intrinsic motivation that they want to learn, um, you know. 
our inspiration 20 more years ago came from the practice in Reggio Emilia in Italy. They don't even have the word curriculum. It's about emergent learning and co-inquiry around a, what they call the progettazione, you know, developing an idea together in that co-constructed space. So as Alex says, yes, a space for dialogue and, you know, leaning on brilliant people like Paolo Freire and Bell Hooks around the con concept of transgressive learning, but really thinking about the individual, but in a collective space. I think that's, that's really important. Self-development in a, being in the world in relationship with others in a meaningful way. And of course, Paulo Freire wrote in the 70s in Latin America during a time of significant civil uh, and revolutionary upheaval. We can't get away from this idea that entering dialogue and, and having this, this pedagogy uh, for uh, the oppressed is, is also about questioning the dominant economic system, uh, one that requires kids to um, have a certain amount of skills so they can enter the, the workforce, the capitalist workforce, and feed that machine. So again, we're talking about, as you mentioned earlier, a whole ecological shift that, that's necessary. Can this happen? Can, can Even if we just focus in the education place, what is the role of the independent schools um, the, and the private schools and the role of the state schools? Can it happen in both? Was it on the fringes, at the core? Where to start? Alex, do you want to go first or shall I? I think Alex knows my views on this. Um, I mean, I really feel like it, it, it starts with one voice, uh, one person, um, one project, one initiative at a time. Um, I feel that I feel that there are a number of different things. I keep coming back to this this notion of what getting you know what gets in the way, but it's very much um, I feel the case that um, if you look at I mean you look at the American education system and is it part, uh, Charles Charles Elliot. Um, who was a long time ago president of Harvard, when, when they structured what the education system should look like uh, in, in the United States, they kind of cut the arts out altogether. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a consideration. Um, and you, you've had years, decades and decades now of uh, formal education in the States um, not really necessarily taking the arts seriously. And where the arts uh, have had this sort of legacy of underinvestment and really sort of not being on any kind of um, pedestal of importance, um, that has exposed hundreds of thousands of educators around the world to poor arts education experiences when they've been at school as well. So I think the overwhelming um, the overwhelming consensus that somehow the arts are less important than more academically uh, rigorous subjects is a hard wall to break down because it's been left sort of um, it's been left unattended and really not investigated or picked apart for a long period of time. So I do feel that the the way to to really explore creating the type of change that you're talking about, Benjamin, is in showing people. I, I've referred to it in meetings with Penny um, in the past and with others as 
getting people to, to taste the mango, you know, um, to, to borrow from a, uh, from, a, from a Thai Buddhist phrase. Uh, but that sense of showing people who maybe have no previous experience of the transformative, powerful and valuable engagement that they've had with the arts in their own education, showing them what it can do for the lives of children um, and young people, and in turn, almost demonstrating something that they won't have seen in their own education, um, and that they maybe take something from that and bring it into their own teaching practice, their own toolkits in their classroom, their own pedagogy. Um, and I think that it just requires more and more people to be, to be doing that. One, one step, one project, one initiative, one uh, paper that you get published in a magazine that talks about success that you've had in your classroom, one school to stand up and say, actually, we've, we've turned a corner via um, investing time and resources in, in, into the arts. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, a, it, it's not a single action that every school needs to take. I think it's the work of uh, passionate individuals, activists, if you like, people who are ready to be combative about why the arts need to be central in schools and how in doing that, it demonstrates to people who've not had that experience just quite how powerful they can be. Yeah, I think creative activism is absolutely essential and that can happen on the ground in, you know, with individuals and communities. Um, we wrote an article a couple of years ago, um, which was alongside colleagues at Cambridge Centre for Imagination and Goldsmiths University with Melissa Benn and our wonderful VC, Sue Rigby, around that sense of agency and activism. And one of our projects that we profiled in that article um, published by Forum um, Celebrating Education magazine journal was around our project School Without Walls, which really does that. It kind of opens up uh, school uh, to the city, with the city or the town or the village. So breaking down the barriers between, say, cultural centres and schools to invite children and young people to be active citizens, to have a voice, to um, co-design inquiries and really to reconceptualise how the arts can manifest in everyday life. Um, you know, the arts are a way of being in the world that actually thinking about meaningful inquiries. So um, it might be learning in the arts or through the arts and across the curriculum. But actually those dispositions and habits of mind that we talked about earlier around, you know, thinking about making connections and, and um, being playful actually having those as a repertoire that we can draw on you know I talk about having these up our sleeve all the time that we can bring out at any time I mean to your point about private schools you know I I'm a great believer in the state system um, I think it's sad um, in the English context at the moment that um, not least that most of our politicians are privately educated but also that um, the education system is um, you know, there's a big chasm between the private sector and the state system. And, and in, in the face of the cost of living crisis and school budgets at the moment, you know, the arts are therefore in a crisis. And so we need to save them. That's a brilliant initiative going on at the moment, funded by the Gulbenkian Foundation and led by Sally Bacon and Pauline Hamlin, which is called the Arts in Schools. 
and uh, there's been a series of really brilliant roundtables that are all documented on a New Direction website, so I can share that as well. But for me, it comes back to social justice, well, social, environmental, racial justice. I think it's about every child having the right to a good quality arts and creative education. Um, and it comes back to the United Nations, you know, Declaration of Human Rights, that if we're fulfilling our mission around meeting the sustainable development goals, but actually going beyond that, it is about, it's back to Eri's phrase, it's about human flourishing and being in the world together to make a difference. So one last question. Imagine I'm a chemistry teacher, a biology teacher in a school listening to this podcast, and I want to bring put creativity more at the center of what I do. What can I go about? What's the first step, the first few steps that I can take? I think we all need to be imagination activists. I think every community should have a commissioner for imagination and future generations. Uh, I think every school, every teacher, every child, every young person should have agency in uh, their learning. And that uh, in that context, you know, we can really reimagine education and, and reimagine learning together. But as Ken said, you know, from the bottom up, let's have a grassroots revolution. I feel that we, we need uh, to a large degree to just shake ourselves from the shackles of thinking that there is established knowledge that lies at the foundation for everyone. Because I think if I think about my time back at school, I excelled in, in areas where many other students um, had no interest, and I did. I was absolutely abysmal um, and completely switched off um, in certain areas where it seemed to me that my, my student colleagues at the time <laughs> had no uh, difficulty with whatsoever. And I think that comes down to the simple truth that um, our, our sense of what intelligence is, is narrowed massively in formal education. And that we all as individuals have inherent skills that other people have to a lesser degree or to a greater degree. Um, and as, a, as you said, uh, Benjamin, I think was a biology teacher or a physics teacher or otherwise, um, Maybe you just need to start by making room in your classes, making room in your curriculum to take the curriculum, put it to one side um, and allow a greater sense of space or give over rather greater, a greater space for, for more inquiry to, to allow young people to um, engage with every lesson, every subject area to one degree or another, maybe not the whole time, but certainly make time for them uh, engaging on, 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 their own, on their own terms. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's the starting point. And also uh, not, not being scared. I, I, think, I, I think a lot of people are scared of, 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 of bringing um, open-ended exploration and, and, and inquiry into their departments because it's going to go off in directions that maybe you as an educator are going to have to turn around and say, I don't know what the answer is. And I think that's a, sing I think that's a single thing that probably scares um, most educators who sit with 
within subject areas that are not the arts. Whereas I can dare to say this, um, most, most arts educators are probably less afraid of saying, I'm, I'm not sure or I don't know. I think it's so important to be uncertain and not know. I think that is one of the fantastic dispositions of being an artist, that valuing uncertainty, valuing failure, making mistakes. There's a sign in our art school, make more mistakes. It's a brilliant mantra. I'm going to leave this uh, open for both of you to, to answer, maybe a little bit the et cetera section. What's on your mind? What are some of the projects that you're working on? Alex? Um, so I have spent um, most of this afternoon actually in, in meetings with, with, with Penny uh, and with the new artistic director of the International School Theatre Association. Um, great guy uh, by the name of uh, Dinos Aristodou. He'll kill me for the mispronunciation of his surname. But um, we've been looking at setting up um, creativity conferences, symposiums about creativity, but specifically um, about how teachers and young people, educators and young people can co-collaborate to create initiatives and policy that help to centralize uh, the arts within individual schools and give over uh, more time for both the faculty and the young people who attend any particular uh, school to engage in creative activity and to start doing some of that sharing that, that we talked about, creating the opportunities and the initiatives where, where people get to taste the mango, as it were, as to what the arts can do um, in a school. So that's that's certainly what's on my mind at the moment, how we push that forward and, and, and make that voice as loud as possible. So um, I'm... Uh every day trying to open up these spaces of possibility and uh, I suppose with my research fellow hat on I get to set up these experimental sites of learning and then research them alongside artists, students, um, teachers, academics and to then see what's possible to then make the creativity visible and I think that if you have live palpable examples of how this can manifest every day in the world so forest for imagination as i said is one of our projects school without walls is another but creating those spaces where everybody feels part of the process and everybody can play a part in that transformational change and that's usually um, manifested by the arts themselves and for me personally you know the arts have been transformative and in the last two and a half years um you know in the face of the pandemic and the war and the ecological emergency i think the importance of nature especially um in all of our lives and how we like alex said earlier how we can then think about how we embed the importance of imagination the the arts and creativity in everything that we do so that it, it isn't a kind of sideline or a bolt-on, it's actually um, part of being human. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Ford. Thank you so much for listening. We are, as always, in collaboration with Intrepid Ed News. Check out our website where you'll find articles and videos and resources, as well as links to Wiser Framework, and that's on www.coconut-thinking.design. We always look forward to your comments. Again, it's www.coconut-thinking.design. And we look forward to having you back with us soon. Bye-bye.